Welcome, I'm Larry Olson, and what's on your mind? Once set, it delivers your life. To change the outcomes we want, we must change the plays we're running. Join us at Mindset Playbook with real people, real talk, for real insight. I want to welcome everyone first to um, Mindset Playbook. And uh, really thank you again for, for taking your time to have the opportunity to learn from others that uh, have made quite a difference in not only the lives of the community they're involved in, but uh, in the lives of the people that they, they touch. Our guest today is a graduate of the University of Oklahoma, a big Sooner fan, um, with a degree in sociology and a Juris Doctorate from the University of Oklahoma College of Law. And Tim's early beginnings led him into the investment banking and development side of life. He has always wanted to make his city and neighborhood a place that people could grow and develop at, within and fostering a dynamic environment. And that quest has led to the likes of the Portland Place Development, a 54-unit luxury condo community within the Roosevelt Historic and Arts District, downtown Phoenix, as well as the Foundry, a downtown Phoenix hotel with much, much more to come. Tim's work has touched the lives of thousands. His community involvement is extensive. From a member of the executive committee at the Phoenix Community Alliance, where he continues its partnership with the city of Phoenix to redevelop the 32.5-acre Hans Park in downtown Phoenix, and his involvement in the Arizona Housing Fund Advisory Committee, forming capital for affordable housing, which is a big he has a big place in his heart for that. Tim's been married for 45 years, which is a feat within itself. Congratulations, Tim. Has four children and six grandkids. And he and I go back for years having worked together. We played music for over 12 years in a rock band where Tim played the bass as well as singer-songwriter. And when we get a chance, we even find a time to, to golf together if the opportunity presents itself. His work ethic is unquestionable, and desire to make a positive difference in his involvement with family, friends, and community goes without saying. I'm glad to call Tim my friend and excited for all of you to get to know him. You know, here at Mindset Playbook, we're all interested in your mindset, Tim, and the plays you found to be most instrumental in your ability to handle life setbacks, resulting in many of your successes. Please share with us what comes to mind first as to the key experiences that you believe fundamentally shaped you and your perspective on life. Well, Larry, that's a big question here uh, to respond. Um, I will tell you that, that I think the thing that's probably impacted me the most are the bad times. Ah. Uh, I uh, am a real estate developer. I've done a lot of different things in my life. I've been involved in the finance side of most business things, all the way from buying and selling companies to working uh, as a, a president for one of the or CEOs, one of the presidents of four companies that eBay had at one time, uh, and then doing real estate development. Uh, back in 1986 through 1989, uh, I experienced the first real estate depression. It, mm -hmm. Everybody called it. It was, it was a depression. <laughs> was it? Uh, and what I learned during that time is that while I, I thought that I was a place in life very young, that I was very successful, I realized that that can go away uh, with the stroke of a pen. Mm -hmm. uh, the, um, and what, kind, what did you find were 
some of the emotions that are attached with that going away. Um, well, it's interesting. Uh, I, I've learned that uh, over time that you have to watch uh, to what you get attached. Ah. And um, you, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is it. Don't let your life be run by things that you get attached to, whether it be physical things or, or certain certain emotions. Uh, you've got to be very careful. I've learned that you have to be objective about what goes on in life. Uh, as I was saying early on, I, I did really well in business, mm -hmm. and the Tax Reform Act of 1986 completely upset my real estate world. Ooh. Um, and literally was fighting with uh, just trying to keep my head above water. Gotcha. And what and I did learned... You, did you have a family at the time? I had a family, had a wife, and at that time, two kids, one on the way, and then wow. eventually had a, a fourth. Yeah. Um, and what I learned more than anything else is that there are people that have it much worse than you do mm. at any time in your life. Okay. And I found inspiration from serving those folks yeah. and um, learning that uh, if I think I've got it bad... That's nonsense. There are other people that have it much worse than I. Okay. And it brings perspective. Gotcha. gotcha. Brings perspective. I've had that same thing occur to me uh, another time in my life in the, the uh, Great Recession of 2008. Uh, thankfully, the things I learned from the first one I experienced way back uh, really directed me to be better prepared for what was going on. But what I learned during that time period, the same thing. Uh, there are people that have it much worse than you. And I learned that it's very important to make sure that you uh, give back, that you try to help those people that are less fortunate, but also that you spend time trying to create community. Because the, as you're trying to create community and make friends, those are the people that will come to you asking you if you need support or help gotcha. rather than you having to ask for it. There you go. And it's amazing how that works. That is a really great point. Here you talk about what can happen to people when all of a sudden life changes, yes. whether it's in a relationship or it's an economic. And right now, the time that we're having this podcast, there's 30% of people are unemployed, Yes, they, um, which is huge. It's huge. And, and they're wondering, what, how do I put my life back together right. again? Um, you mentioned something about people have it worse off than I do. But you also have some kind of a play that you are able to run in your head to not to crawl into a fetal position, put your thumb in your mouth, and end up a victim, which means you're powerless now. So you mentioned that you've gone, this is through it before, and fortunately enough, you prepared yourself for the right. sec hit. Right. But if you go back in your life, where, what comes to mind where where you had this more objective approach to life when so many people can be so emotionally caught up in it, they don't even know that the emotions have taken over. I think you have to, the sense of looking at things from an, from an objective perspective is highly important to be able to survive tough times. Uh, coupled with that, I mean, I, I've had the advice from uh, an old a uh, partner of ours, a guy that was probably 20 years my, my senior when I was first involved in the real estate business. And we were working through really tough times, dealing with lenders that wanted to get paid money. You didn't have the ability to do it and mm. all those kinds of things. Um, he says, you know what? They can't beat me because I won't quit. Mm. 
Hmm. And that is stuck in my head forever. Hmm. Coupled with that is that you have to look at things objectively. Uh, if things are really tough, it's not going to kill you. Okay. Nobody's going to come and take your kids away. And nobody's going to threaten your life. Okay. Once you get that into perspective, what else can they do to you? <laughs> I mean, really. So, and I, and I, 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 I'm a, I'm a, I'm a student of the old Stoics. Marcus Aurelius used to always say that the obstacle is the way. Ah. And I really believe that if you have an issue, if you have a problem, you don't go hide. You look at it straight in the eye. If you have a problem with the lender, you call him before they call you. Mm -hmm. If -hmm. there's ever any kind of a problem with the tenant that you have in a building that you own, or if you're the tenant and you can't pay the rent, call them before they call you. Okay. And let them know that you're aware. Yeah. And, and it's really important to, once you have that conversation during it, to listen, Mm -hmm. to really understand where they're coming from. And you can't listen well unless you have a perspective of being objective about what's going on. Uh-huh. Detach yourself from that. Look around it and see what's going on and observe what really is happening. At that point, you have a vantage point that's very different than theirs. Hmm. You're seeing things that they don't see. They're trying to advocate what their position is. And as you're listening to them, you're able to understand what those things are that are important to them Mm -hmm. and you have the ability to formulate your response or your strategy or what you want to advocate yeah that's that 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 is a wonderful wonderful lesson for everyone is when we get emotionally caught up in anything we can't reason to begin with we more often than not end up defending an indefensible position Correct. Your objectivity of talking to someone who has not come through on their promise to pay for their their building or their their square footage or whatever right. the case may be, you are doing something that is so unique that many people in business and in life have never learned, and that's to listen. Well, you know, where did of, that come from? Where did it come from? It it, it came from a lesson from my grandfather and my dad. Okay. Um, you were just a little guy? Oh, yeah. It started out. I, I, I was lucky to grow up in a small town in Oklahoma. My grandfather was uh, an entrepreneur deluxe. Hmm. Uh, he originally had a, uh, a grocery mar- market that he, that he started, and he turned it into a furniture store because the IGA food stores could get food delivered quickly and bananas when the bananas w- weren't in season, and uh-huh. he got his food and, and produce from the local farmers and from the local ranchers. Uh, and he literally, the people that supplied him with goods were his partners. Uh, okay. And okay. so he had to constantly be aware of what was going on. And he got into real estate. I mean, some of the neatest things I ever saw <laughs> in life that he did was around him involved in real estate. And he was a very fair man. Uh. And, and he would uh, always... Uh, err on the side of saying yes rather than no. Did and you spend much time with him? I did. I did. How would he treat you? Oh, I mean, he was. I, I was his student. Oh, <laughs> you were. Oh, more of a yeah. of a mentor. Yeah, I was. I mean, he was always he was always telling me things that I should okay. should think about. What a gift! Yeah, it was great. And my and my father took a, a lot from him, and and um, my negotiating skills and how to treat people in business at a, at, an, at an older age really came from being able to be around my dad. Uh, and my father always shared 
his business life with me. Mm. And uh, I can remember as a kid, he was uh, buying a car and he said, I want you to come with me. I want you to see how this works. Okay. <laughs> so I go with him and we're negotiating or he's negotiating to buy a car and watched it. He, and I got through and I remember he getting the car, he bought the car and we're going home and he goes, well, what'd you think? You know, and, and you know, so that was kind of an interesting thing. And it, it started off with watching that. I'm maybe in the sixth grade, you know, <laughs> yeah. and going and going through life and later in life. My dad bought and sold companies, uh-huh. and uh, he he didn't finish his first year of college. He's one of the brighter guys I've ever been around. Wow! Uh, but he just really understood how to deal with people, and he started doing deals in New York. My parents split up, and when I was in high school, he went to New York, and he would always ask me to come up and be with him. And when he would have serious big time business meetings, he would ask me to come along. Mm. Same way he asked me to go watch him buy a car. Right. And so I got exposed to that. And, and he what would an always... education. You know, it was great. And yeah. he would always, uh, you know, he, he would say, you know, get on the same side of the table when you're talking to somebody. Always listen and repeat back to them what they've said. Not that you're agreeing that you're going to do that, but to make them understand that you understand them. Wow. And I've, I learned from that. And um, most generally, when I'm selling, I'm listening first. Yeah. Try to pick up the hot buttons and then come back and uh, satisfy those if I can. And and my dad always said, he goes, you know, I'd get to somebody that's selling something and I'm buying. And he goes, you know, I don't know if I can get all of that, but I'm going to do my best if I can. Hmm. Hmm. And after you've listened to somebody and you say that to them, there's a certain amount of trust and comfort that comes to that. Hmm. And I, I use that all the that time. That is golden, Tim. That's absolutely golden. You know, and the idiom that was attached to that was people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Mm. And one of the greatest ways to help people know you care is to do something most people don't do. And that's just what you shared with to us. To listen. To listen. Right. And you got to model that from your father. Right. And it sounds like he was also interested in what you took away from it. Right. So he modeled listening to you. Right. Well, yeah, I'm sure he did. Uh, and now that I look back on it, of course he did. Uh, and and I, I, I use that. Uh, I do infill development. And that's where you're coming into a neighborhood and building a building. Okay. You're disrupting their life. Mm. And uh, nobody knows more about what happens in a neighborhood than the people that live there. And so when you're getting into a rezoning so, situation. Excuse me for a moment. Sure. So infill yes. is, is there's an existing building Right. In, infill or, is, is an existing community. Existing community. An existing neighborhood. Okay. And you're coming in and you're taking a piece of, of property that had never been developed or a piece of property that has outlived its useful life. Okay. And you're redeveloping it and doing that. And that almost, won't always be in agreement with this, the community and the citizens who live there. Absolutely. Because okay. what you're doing, you are changing things. And people fear change. Sure. And people fear change a great deal when it's in the place where they live. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And our company, since 2003, has focused upon infill development of downtown Phoenix. And uh, you mentioned Portland Place, which is a condo project we built. Just finished one up two years ago called Portland on the Park, which is a 149-unit, million-dollar type condo deal. And you're in an area that's an old historic neighborhood. And wow. you're really disrupting what their world is, or else they think you are. Sure. 
And what I always found the best way to, to sell what you're doing is to go approach them, you, not a hired gun, not a lawyer that's going to come out and try to prosecute your case for the zoning. But I would be with my renderings of the buildings and a carton of donuts and a, a, a thermos of coffee and knock on their door on Saturday mornings and say, hey, may I tell you about what we're trying to do here? Hmm. And if you listen well, there will be one or two things that will come up in those conversations that they that you learn about the neighborhood, that if you can incorporate that into what you're doing, whether it be design or street layout or whatever, and really uh, praise those folks who are giving it to you, it's amazing how effective that is. Hmm. And it's hmm. not false. I mean, because right. it genuine. really, I mean, it hmm. makes it a product better. We believe that you need to add social capital at any time you do anything. And uh, that's recognizing what's there. And it's making what you walk into better when you participate. Beautiful. Beautiful. <clears throat> if you don't mind, hmm? define what you mean by social capital. Hmm. Social capital is adding, uh, to me, it's adding to a uh, community that allows them to have a better sense of community. Uh, you mentioned I'm involved in the... Uh, renovation of Hans Park in down, downtown. Uh, it's got a wild history that they, we put a freeway, when I, we, the government, put a freeway through the middle of Phoenix and wiped out 250 historic homes. And the neighbors went ballistic. And the freeway was... You probably didn't quite handle it in the No, they, did, they didn't handle it at all. He's, you know, this is a dictate. <laughs> We're doing it. Yes. Right. And they went crazy, and they formed the Roosevelt Action Association, the Roosevelt Neighborhood, Okay, this is back in the mid-'80s. Uh, uh, the freeway was dedicated to the park that we're talking about. It was above grade originally, the design. A uh, big bridge, if you will, you know, uh, structure going across. It would have divided the neighborhood in half. Oh, boy. This is an old neighborhood, you know, this big-time roots in the city. And the mitigation was to lower it below grade, and they put a series of 19 bridges side-by-side side and created this 32-and-a-half-acre park. Oh, and that okay. park became a bridge for the neighborhood. When times are tough, parks become a stepchild and they don't get treated well. Mm. And so 10 years ago, we got involved. It's like the arts in school when the budget gets It's like the arts cuts. in school, exactly. It's exactly the same thing. Okay. We're experiencing it right now. Okay. So anyway, so social capital, what do you do? You try to add to it and make things better. Uh, can you enhance the park? Can you uh, make sure that the pedestrian activity is better? Should you do a road diet where you reduce the size of the streets to slow down the traffic so kids are safe? Mm. And do and you do that so you can create pedestrian retail opportunities for people to be able to sit outside and have a meal or get an ice cream cone and do something that really contributes to the neighborhood? We live in Phoenix, Arizona, and it's hot as hell. Mm -hmm. Shade's a big deal. <laughs> if we can do something that we can create more space, more shade yeah. and do that, by all means, you want to do that. It's almost creating a village. Absolutely. Isn't it? Uh, absolutely. And when you go back and look at things, we're, we're developing a product now that's very sustainable. We call it our uh, eco program. And we're developing product now that uh, will, will not be over 150 uh, units. And the reason being is that we've learned from building multifamily projects, you get over 150 people and the sense of community goes away. Hmm. People don't know each other. Great strangers. Huh? Yeah. I mean, all you run in the parking lot, and you have no idea who they are. Yeah. And people live in a place longer 
when they know people, hmm. when they feel well, comfortable, that makes sense. and they know their net neighbors. Yeah, yeah. You keep employees longer if they enjoy each keep other's company, longer. right? So social capital to us is making all those things. There's a German word. It's called Gestalt. Oh yeah. Gestalt is the whole of everything, and if you can work in a neighborhood and try to sense and feel and understand what the gestalt is of a neighborhood it, whatever you do will be more accepted and people will embrace it and they will support it beautiful haven't heard that since fritz pearls <laughs> <laughs> you know you're you're sharing something that is so refreshing to hear that uh, a person in your position that's able to make such a difference in a community positive or negative has chosen to make it about community. Mm. And there's some real uh, skill sets that come into play mm -hmm. to be able to be yourself having to be a part of the community as well. Mm -hmm. Not just a guy that comes in and makes a big change and creates a few houses and then also the bye-bye baby. Um, there's a... Let uh, me interrupt you there. You bet. We don't come in and build and leave. Okay. We come in and build and live. Oh, nice. Big difference. That could be a bumper sticker. Uh, I live here. Yeah, you do. Okay. You do. I have four children, and I want to help create an environment that's attractive, that's one, that will attract them to come back. Yeah. Because I would like to be around my grandchildren as I'm, as I'm old. There you go. Okay. And if I have a place that's a really fun place to live in, and there's all kinds of neat stuff to do, they'll come back. We've got two of the four back now. I've got two more to go. You do. You do. That's right. That is such, a, such an interesting point to think about how many communities have not paid attention to creating the draw and the magnetism to keep those young kids who grow right. up and go, well, it's probably better off someplace else for whatever reason. And I have noticed that about you. I, there's a little envy. I, I try not to do that of your children moving and living here and thriving. And it starts to make sense now. How come? Well, expand that out. If it's cool enough for my kids to come home, it's going to be cool enough for an employer to say, that's where I want to place my company. There you go. That's where I want to move my business. That's where my employees are going to feel the best. Okay. And so if I can be around having just a little bit of that take place and be instrumental in that, it's going to make my business life better. And it's going to make the community environment in which I live attractive. I like good food. I like art. I like great entertainment. Those are things that if I can do something to make that take place, it helps everybody. Yeah. Amen. That's social capital. That's social capital. Good, good definition. So speaking of that, with the what's going on now in the continual weight of this vaccine mm -hmm. or something that's going to calm so we can get to a point where people can get together again, mm -hmm. what kind of impact has that made on your business life? All I will tell you, today is Wednesday. The last two days, I would bet there's not more than an hour and a half of time that I wasn't on a Zoom type meeting. Mm, okay. Uh, I'm seeing people get things done without being face to face. Uh, the video meeting works. You don't have the same type of personal contact, no question about it. 
but people like to see each other. It's much better than a telephone call. Okay. Much yeah. better than a conference call. It's not the same as being face-to-face. -face. It's much better. I think what we're seeing right now that people are they're stir-crazy. They want to go out and, and do something. But at the same time, I think that responsible people are realizing that for us to get through this, that we're going to have to sacrifice some of those things that we really like and, and incubate ourselves, uh, practice self, uh, social distancing, uh, and think of others before yourself. Mm. Mm. That's highly important. We're not going to get through this unless we do that. What's yeah, the impact? Yeah, we can't be cavalier about it. Yeah. What's the impact on society? I think we're seeing it. Uh, crimes perked up a bit. Uh, people are frustrated. You know, they're going to fly off the handle, especially in the summertime. It's hot. You've always had that over time. But I also think that people are going to be um, um, unconnected. And I think that employers that don't go out of their way to try to stay connected are going to have a hard time getting their people back. Mm. And I think it's I think the people that are not being connected to their employers are going to seek other things or they're just going to give up. Yeah, which is not good. Um, I also I, I, I think this is a two edged sword. It has the potential to bring people together if we do it right on the way out of it and help out each other. Uh, or it has the ability to to alienate people and, and have them be. Uh, dysfunctional when it when it comes to social things, mm. leadership's huge. I think right now, and I and I question that we have it properly. Gotcha, gotcha. Which is another topic. Which is another topic. Um, you, I've got a client who had gone from seven hundred associates and is now back to three fifty, mm. and I would say that twenty percent of them were a part of the original. 700. Mm. And there's a lot of those people that were exposed to the culture that had worked on the values and the purpose and right. had a sense of community within that organization, friends. And since this has taken place, why aren't those people coming back? Well, one of the reasons is they found something else. Right. And the other thing I think is happening is it's so critical for business to be aware of this. And I wanted to get your perspective on this is they didn't stay in touch with them. Mm. And so if I'm not seeing you anymore, I'm not probably thinking about you anymore. Right. And I forget about what it was I liked about you and what it was your company was able to do for me. And I got into a point between a rock and a hard spot, and I had to make a financial decision because right. I need to provide for my family. Right. What do you? What could you say to the leaders out there that are listening to this that are, are dealing with those same issues? And if they're not, their heads in the sand, right? Because this, this, even if it's the best Zoom in the world, you know, you might talk to fifty people, but you're only really interacting with one or two, while the rest right. are just listening, or you right. hope they are. Right. What is what is your take on that? What would you? What would your advice be to? Even though we can't be close, we have to be connecting. Well, I, 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 uh, I've been doing a lot of reading and seeing what people are doing and seeing how different businesses are dealing with the impact of the COVID virus. It's amazing. If there's a time to get more technologically advanced, this is that time. 
and a leader in business needs to take advantage of that because I think it's important to be able to maintain a place for the people to be employed. Does that mean that 100% of the people are going to come back? No. Yeah. Uh, some of them are going to find someplace else, and some of them are just not going to work. And to stick your head in the sand and not realize that, I think we'll have the entire business fail. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay? I think it's something you've got to be very careful about. In terms of how you deal with those employees and what happens, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, express what's, what I've experienced with, with friends. I get telephone calls from people that are friends of mine that I've known because of community activities or business or whatever. Out of the blue, hey, how are you doing? Mm. And they're serious. They want to know how I'm doing. Mm. And I will be candid and frank with them, and I'll tell them about the challenges that I'm facing, and I'll tell them how I'm dealing with that, and I want to know how they're doing. And that prompts me to call one of my friends that hasn't talked to me or I haven't seen. And it's that that kind of connectivity that's really important. So as an employer, even if there's no prospect of you being able to bring them back, touch base. Hmm. Hmm. Because if you do that's going to let them know that somebody out there cares about them. Mm-hmm. And if somebody, you know, call them up, you know, think that, man, it's really tough right now. Business is not at a point where I can bring you back. But let me, you know, what are you up to? Is there a way that I can help? Yeah, yeah. Okay? Wow. And um, I think that's very much worthwhile. All right. Great advice. Great advice. And, you know, I, I got to tell you, what, not only is Tim a, a hell of a bass player, but when I first met Tim, um, we didn't need to know each other from Adam. I would think I was auditioning. And um, I liked Tim immediately. And it's almost selfish when I share this and, uh, because he listened to me. And I wasn't used to that. I was used to being the listener. And have someone listen to you and have someone actually ask a follow-up question based on what you shared, I didn't know that he was becoming a very close friend because he cared. And you can't just try to listen. You can't pretend to listen. You can't know that it's important intellectually and go through the motions because people... People don't think you're really paying attention. And a lot of people's self-esteem is so low, they don't think they, you're interested in them to begin with. But they'd never admit that. But Tim, you, and I, and I wanted you to know this, you touched my heart mm. that you took you. an actual interest. And then it made me, as you said, it's a law of reciprocity, interested in you. Well, you know, it's interesting. This is a two-sided coin. Listening to people, there's a lot of self-interest on my side for that. When I listen to people that I sense are interesting, I learn. Hmm. And I try to learn as much as I can all the time. And, you know, you hear this phrase, continual learner. I don't know how you could ever go through life and not have that be that as your purpose. Uh, That just doesn't make sense to me, you know. The all-significant force gave us a brain. Use it. Yeah, yeah. And you've got to use it. I think uh, I think we all have an obligation 
to use it to your best of your ability. And that means you need to learn as much as you can. And as I get older in life, what I get upset about is that it seems like every day I see more things I want to do, and there's not enough time. (laughs) There's just not enough time. I need to tell you a story about a guy that was the dean emeritus at the law school where I attended law law school, University of Oklahoma. His name is Professor Merrill. He was the old dean of the law, law school. And when I was there as a freshman, I mean, green as I could be, uh, I, I really took the studies seriously, and I studied hard. And the first semester, I mean, literally, I would close down the library every night at 10.30. And as I would be walking out the door, Professor Merrill at 89 would be coming out the door. 89. At 89. And everybody called him Scooter because of the way he walked. You just kind of scoot along, okay? <laughs> All of the professors called him that, and it was, it was okay to call him that. He didn't mind it. Okay, he didn't mind it. He laughed. But I remember one night... I'm walking out of the law school with him. It's 1030 night, and we're shutting the doors, literally. And I said, Professor Merrill, I said, wow. I said, you, you're just an, an incredible guy. I said, I said, I just am blown away by you, by your study, you know, by what you're doing. He goes, Tim, I have so much that I want to try to produce. I've got such little time left to do it. I cannot let it lapse. And this is a guy that's 89 years old. <laughs> a brilliant guy. What, what, what a phenomenal example. Yeah, no kidding. And he's learning every day. Every day. Yeah. Every day. Every day. Wow. Yeah. That is fantastic. Yeah. You know, Tim, I would, um, with all of the things you've learned and the opportunity to be brought up in that kind of an environment, I mean, I was brought up in an environment where we were the first family in the neighborhood with TV trays. Mm -hmm. And we'd all, that's how we'd spend time together is watching the television. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't a lot of learning going on. Mm -hmm. There wasn't advice that you were getting from your your Mm -hmm. parents. Mm -hmm. And they didn't go to college, so they weren't really interested in you going to college. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, and, you know, so I sit here and I sit in admiration of the gift that you were were exposed to in the environment that you had. And as you talked about this guy and his ability to, to continue to have this quest for learning, not everything is, goes right. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are some challenges there. And what I wanted to ask you, if you could go back to the 17-year-old again, mm-hmm. what advice would you give that 17-year-old that would change that life exponentially? It's something that I've told my kids, and I, I, I truly believe this. And at 17, you have the ability to do it without um, shirking obligations to others. And that's follow your heart. Hmm. Hmm. Um, when you don't have a mortgage payment, and you don't have a family, and you're fresh, and you're literally footloose and fancy free follow your heart and really be prepared uh you've got to blow off steam every now and then but if you can find that direction treat every day like a job Mm -hmm. 
What does that mean? That means look at what you can do today to do better at what your aspiration is. Hmm. Talk to people. Find people that are experts in the field that you're around and do your best to be able to find them and have a conversation. I read a book a while back about a, about a young immigrant that came over to America and his grandfather was here from the old country and, and they were talking and this guy, this young person who I think was like in high school or something, was relating to his grandfather about this book that he had read and whatever and the grandfather said, uh, well, talk to that person. And he goes, what do you mean talk to that person? And he goes, talk to that person. Figure out a way that you can do that. So this guy sat down and every week he wrote a letter to this person. Mm-hmm. Every week. And after six months, he got a response. <laughs> and he did that with every person that he saw as a potential guide to what he wanted to do. Wow. Wow. And he was able to crack it every time. Man. And that's available to everybody. And I have an example that my wife has told me. She's a school teacher. And there was a woman that had written a book that the kids had had, uh, read for the class. And she did that same thing and reached out to this author. Well, the author came back and was absolutely excited that the kids would do that. And the relationship that happened between that class and this author was exceptional. I bet. Follow your heart. At 17, yeah, for sure. Explain follow your heart. I would probably be doing something different right now if I had followed my heart. (laughs) You would. You would, would you? It would be around music. Okay. It would be around the uh, music business somehow. Yeah. I don't know that I was a good enough musician to make it that way. But I was smart enough and had enough business experience from being around my own man and my grandfather to have done well, and I think, in that arena. Yeah. yeah. And my father discounted that. Gotcha. Okay. okay. That wasn't business. Yeah. Well, hell yes, it was. There's few records sold. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. So I think I would have probably done that. Yeah. Okay. okay. Not that I'm unhappy with what I've done. But that, that's probably where so I would have So you would have told your 17-year-old, yeah. follow yeah. your heart. Absolutely. And I have with all of them. Yeah. And no, some of it's worked and some of it hadn't, but yeah. you know. Right, right. <laughs> well, and I guess that's, that's all relative, too. It is. To what you think would be best for them, right? No, it's interesting when you're young. You, you know, sometimes you really know and sometimes you don't. Yeah. And yeah. you've got to go experiment. You do. And if it means that you experiment, then go experiment. Yeah. Absolutely, go, yeah. go do that because yeah. you'll eventually find it. Yeah, yeah. But you have to be true to yourself, and you have to be committed. And and that that's you know that's true to not self. A... T- tell me a little bit about true to self. I, we've all heard that. It all means something different to everyone. What does that mean to you? True to yourself. Don't be co-opted by other people that have influence around you or over you. Co-opted. Co-opted. Co-opted means selling out. To yourself. Yeah, selling out yourself. Uh, if you have a strong ideal about something and there's a company that wants you to work for them uh, and they're going to offer you a good salary and a lot of pre- prestige and status and all that, but there's some elements about that company that maybe you don't like, they don't have diversity that you want, or the things that they're doing may not be the best environmentally 
or whatever, you've got some hesitation, but wow, okay, man, I'm going to be able to make this kind of money. I'm going to be able to do this or whatever. And you go do that. I think there'll be a time that you wake up one day and say, what did I do? Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And if you don't, you're not being true to yourself and you're out playing some other game. Yeah. That's the quiet lives of desperation. That's the quiet life of desperation. You're right. Yeah. And I think it's very difficult to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what's the most important thing every day is to, you know, go to sleep with a smile on your face. Yeah. 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 And to feel good about what you did. Yeah, I've heard I've heard happiness associated with progress. Ah. That if you've done something, there's a, there's an endorphin rush. That yes, I did that. No I got that done today. No question about it. Yeah, and you seem like a man that is just uh, the definition of progress. <laughs> it's been a pleasure having the opportunity to spend a little time with you and and to have you share the wisdom that you've picked up along the way. Um, the, from, the, from the grandfather to the father to having all of us recognize how important it is that we expose ourselves to things, that we find that expert out there. And we don't in, let ourselves think, well, they'd never want to talk with us. Because I think all of us would say, I know you would, Tim, and so would I, that when somebody does seek me out and ask me a question, that's one of my proudest days. Absolutely. Huh? Absolutely. Oh, and I don't hold back. Well, I will tell you that being asked to do this today is a real privilege for me. Oh, thank you. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, that means a are. lot. And, and in wrapping this up, everyone is always, if they're as curious as that 89-year-old professor of yours, or you were at 17, um... There's there, that means there's a seeking. There's something that's not quite the way they want it in their life, and they want change or transition. And yet, without the tools, without the right information, people get discouraged. Things don't work well for a few times, and it doesn't take much. They, the 95% of people will only fail three times before they give up. And so with, with leaving us... What would you tell to this people? What would your gift be to them when they're about to give up? I read many years ago that Colonel Sanders of Kentucky Fried Chicken did not get his first restaurant going with his secret recipe until he was 67. (laughs) 67. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 67. Well, that was a don't few ever failures, give up. Huh? A lot of failures. Yeah. Don't ever give up. As yeah. my old friend used to say, they can't beat me because I won't give up. <laughs> Never give up. And I will wow. tell you that that tenacity and that persistence, along with a purpose, but you have to have a purpose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those two things go hand in hand. And that gives you energy. It gives you entheos. It gives you that enthusiasm. Entheos comes from the Greek term of in God. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And it's 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 a it's a pure force, if you will. Yes. That's enthusiasm, and you can have enthusiasm at seventeen, at sixty-seven, and at eighty-nine. Yeah. 
Yeah, beautiful, beautiful, wonderful. I, you know, I don't want to stop, but we will. But we will definitely have Tim back if if you would do that. Sure, it'd be my pleasure. <clears throat> um, so I want all of you to to take the and play this back again and 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 look at all the golden moments that Tim has offered us regarding what's most important in life. And as he ended with that enthusiasm was to make sure that you've got something in your life greater than self. Make sure that you recognize that in your most discouraging moment, there's an answer there. And as Tim said, one of the triggers, one of the plays that he has in his mindset is he's not quitting. That just isn't who he is. He draws a line in the sand right there. He hasn't quit on his business. He hasn't quit on his partners. He hasn't quit on his family. He hasn't quit on his children. He didn't say no to this podcast. And uh, it's, been a, it's been a joy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. And just listen a little bit and you'll hear Walker share who our next guest will be. Um, but tell your friends about this one. Uh, this, is, this is special. And, um, and I, I know you know that. It's made a difference. Thank you, Tim. You're welcome. Thank you for listening and tune in for our next episode. Dr. Teresa Ramsey is as insightful and refreshing as she is as a practicing physician, speaker, lifestyle expert, author of the best-selling book, Healing 101, A Guide to Creating the Foundation for Complete Wellness. She was a guest expert on Arizona's top morning television show, Your Life A to Z, as their medical expert from 2007 to 2018. Join us and gain greater understandings on how to keep your body young and your mind wise.